I would manipulate anybody and everybody to get what I wanted. And I hated having to admit that. We're broken people and we're always one step away from stupid all the time. (laughs) That's funny. Reboots episode R041 features Jill Abrams, a fellow podcaster and 12-step practitioner who began a radical transformation following a code blue hospital resuscitation. After Jill walked into a Celebrate Recovery meeting for the first time and started working her program, she realized, and I'll quote here, I compound my misery when I take my brokenness to the fridge. Jill ultimately made the decision to commit to radical obedience. The daily choices that stem from that commitment are resulting in a healthier Jill who enjoys closer relationships with Jesus Christ, her family, and her Celebrate Recovery Forever family. Hey there, you're dialed into Reboots, featuring stories about people who have been forced to start over in life or in business, all walks of life, anonymous or named, high profile or low down, stories with heart, soul, and grit. Because knowing and sharing our stories is essential for living a life of joy, experiencing healthy relationships, and impacting the world around us in a positive way. Here's your host, Tracy Winchell. Jill, thanks for inviting us into your life. It's so cool to have you on the Reboots podcast. It's a rainy day in Lavaca, Arkansas on the first day of November. What's it like where you are? Well, Tracy, thanks for having me. We are also having a little bit of a rainy day in Hendersonville, Tennessee. (laughs) Okay, so you're an SEC girl then, huh? Actually, I'm not an SEC girl. Really? Um, Yes. My husband and I lived in South Florida from 2005 until 2010. And during that time, he went to graduate school at the University of Miami. Okay. You're a Hurricanes fan. Yes, we are Hurricanes fans. Well, I got to do the obligatory whoopig suey thing. Okay. Okay. That's, I understand. (laughs) (laughs) Jill, tell me, what's your life like today, girl? Well, I'm in a little bit of a pseudo empty nester phase, I guess. My husband Mitch and I have been married for almost 25 years and we had Hunter and Holly and those babies were born when I was 21 and 24. And then we did not have TJ until I was 31. And so my older kids are both at college and then I have TJ and he's in sixth grade. This is kind of the calm before the proverbial storm, because when he comes rolling in after school, everything is going to go crazy, and there'll be a lot of rappers strewn everywhere around my house. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess we're talking about rappers with a W, not like... Yes, rappers with a W, because his appetite is kind of ferocious these days. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Well, I want to ask you a little bit about your podcast. I ran across your podcast. I don't even know how. And we've been kind of talking back and forth this summer. I love your podcast, Jesus and Jill. How did that come about in your life? I mean, I'm sure with kids and family and work, you're probably probably real busy. Yes, absolutely real busy. And I just want to share one thing with you. My producer, Matthew, is You know, he's homeschooled, but he also does college classes. And so we record the podcast in my car. And a a few weeks ago, we lost an episode. And I still don't really know how it happened, but we lost this episode and it needed to release. We realized we lost it on Wednesday and it would have released on Friday. And so he and I had to put our schedules together and we had to find a 15 minute window to re record that podcast so that it could release the next day on Friday. And so that's how crazy my life is. (laughs) 
Well, just tell me how that works. Tell me, tell me about your podcast and okay. about how you and Matthew hooked up and how you both said, hey, let's do a podcast. Tell me something, what, what it's yes. about. Yes. So uh, whenever I first got into step study, I hooked up with these two other women who were about my same age. We were at similar places in life. You know, we each had three kids and I would send them little video or audio text messages a few times a week. And they would listen to the text message. And one of them said one time, you need to start a podcast. Like everything that you're saying is just exactly what the Holy Spirit needs me to hear. And other people would be blessed by this. And so I took that seriously. And I just started thinking, okay, so logistically, what would something like that look like? And we had this homeschooling family that lived about two miles from our house at that point. And their oldest son was a website designer. And so I called him and that's Matthew. I said, Matthew, I kind of have this harebrained idea and I don't even really know if it's something that I'm just thinking would be a good idea or if this really is something that the Lord is leading me to, but I don't know how to go from my voice to iTunes. So can you connect those dots for me? And is this something that you would possibly be interested in? And so at the time he was 16 years old and he was instantly excited about it. And I started praying through my content. I started thinking about what the title would be. And I've always loved alliteration. And so I wanted Jesus to be pivotal and Jesus needed to be first. And so I I knew that Jesus needed to be in the title. And so Jesus and Jill, and it took me a little while to get the just for today piece of it. But that is my favorite phrase of the short serenity prayer. Because one of the things that I struggle with the most is getting fixated on the past or fretting about the future. And the short serenity prayer ends with just for today. And so I had the phrase just for today written on a necklace and and I, I wanted to give this a shot. And so he and I recorded, I think we recorded about five episodes before we released the first three, because we, we kind of thought if we can get through these first five episodes and I don't run out of things to say, then let's give this a go. And you and I have talked before and you're cognizant of, of the idea that this is, you, your show is really a podcast that, that, that people can listen to on the work commute. So what's that format like? Tell me what you guys talk about, how long it is, uh, how often you release. Yes, we release every Friday and I strategically try to keep it no longer than 18 minutes because Tracy, I I don't know about you, but if I am intrigued by a podcast title and I visit it, if it's really, if it's any longer than an hour, I'm probably not going to listen. And I know that we are busy people And so I try to keep something really, really short and engaging so that people will want to come back and listen again. And that also helps me with my content because I always pray through what I feel like the Lord wants me to share. And then I have an open share where I confess some type of sin issue or character defect and it's funny, as I was praying one day, I was like, Lord, I, what, if I, what if I run out of things to say? And just almost immediately, I just felt in my spirit. And, and I don't know how the Lord ministers to you or how he talks to you, but for me, I always know that it's a thought that I did not think myself. How do, and, how do you know that? Well, I can always tell when the wisdom that I, that I feel like I have is coming from me. But when it's a thought that I know I didn't think, and immediately I just felt the Lord, you'll keep sinning. You'll have enough to say. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated by, by that because, yeah, a lot of my life I struggle to know what's God saying. Because there have, 
I can look back on my life and see all the times that I said, God wants me to do this, and it was actually pride. Mm. These days, I'm like, um, I want to be really sure. And I don't know that I'm ever really 100% sure. And I think that's the humility talking is you can be 80 or 90% sure. So I'm really curious. Is there a way to like articulate for you how I love that? It's not a thought that you thought. How, how do you know that? Okay. So my older kids that are in college, I have had separate conversations with them about discernment and wisdom and making good sound judgments and things of that nature. And I have always talked to my kids, especially concerning generosity, because my husband and I both come from families where generosity was not, it wasn't really talked about. I can't even say for sure if it was practiced because it wasn't really talked about. And so those are the conversations that I end up having with my kids. And my older son, one time, he gave his jacket, he gave his winter coat to a homeless man one time. And, mm. and I, I kind of got upset with him about it. And I was like, Hunter, but you needed a winter coat as well. What led you to do that? And he said, well, mommy, I really don't think that the enemy would tell me to give my jacket to someone and that was that was kind of it for me because the lord used that to help me connect a few dots and a lot of times i know when the idea is coming from me or when the suggestion is coming from me because i find myself trying to talk the lord into something a purchase or a judgment call or even sharing a, I hate to say this, but sharing a prayer request when you know deep down you're gossiping with someone. Mm -hmm. And there are times when I, I feel it in my spirit. I'm trying to talk the Lord into this, but then there are distinct times when I know he's trying to talk me into something. Oh, And, and those are those thoughts that I didn't think is when he's trying to talk me into something and I'm resisting. Wow. And, and that's where generosity gets pretty irrational, is whenever you, you <laughs> distinctly know that the Lord is telling you to give your brand new winter coat to this homeless dude. <laughs> wow. Yeah, Jill, that's really cool. Yes. So back to the podcast. I chose the name Jesus and Jill just for today because I am crazy about alliteration. I love the fact that it kind of rolls off your tongue fairly easily. And just for today is my favorite phrase of the short serenity prayer because I get so caught up in allowing myself to be humiliated by things that I've already done or fretting about what might happen tomorrow. And the short serenity prayer just always reminds me that I only have today. Well, when we first started talking, you talked a little bit about a, a step study and how you used to send audio messages to the folks in your step study. Yes. And we've talked yes. about the serenity prayer. And so uh, it's pretty obvious at this point that your journey is and my journey has something in common. We're both part of uh, Celebrate Recoveries uh, locally. I, I love really CR. Awesome. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> Before we start to unpack your recovery story, I just I like to ask this question of a lot of my guests. Where do you share your story and why? Okay. I, you're close to Fort Smith, Arkansas, correct? Yep, I'm about 20 okay. miles east of Fort Smith. Yes, okay, so we also have something else in common. Oh, yeah? We live close to towns where there is a remote life church location. So Pastor Craig oh, Rochelle yeah. is my pastor. Oh, cool. And Pastor Craig Rochelle says from the pulpit regularly that we need to get to the place where spiritual things become normal because once spiritual things become normal, then normal things become spiritual. And where do I share my recovery story and how? Man, 
anywhere I can and every opportunity I can get. (laughs) You give me 20 minutes in a barber's chair and I'm going to talk about my podcast. I'm, I'm going to talk about Celebrate Recovery. I'm going to talk about how I really feel like the Lord has turned my mess into a message. And I don't have an agenda. If people want to check it out, I'm totally humbled by that. But I also feel like that might be the only 15 minutes I get with that person. And so if a telemarketer calls and we're talking on the phone because I can't remember my bank password, not necessarily a telemarketer, but, you know, like an operator of some sort, and I can't remember my bank password, if we're on the phone for very long, it will come up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm not really ever the person that's going to lead in with, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Because I'm truly convinced that those kinds of questions, they are better received when there's an established community. But I am going to find a way to share the fact that I'm getting ready to record my podcast. Oh, you have a podcast. What's the name of it? Uh, Jesus and Joe just for today. Oh, well, what's that about? You know, and typically those kinds of conversations will not be shut down. And I just... I want to look for any and every opportunity to just take the emphasis off of me and shine a light on him and what he has done in my life because it's nothing short of miraculous. Well, describe your reboot. Was it a moment, a coincidence, a choice, maybe a series of choices? Tracy, it's so funny that you should say that because what my reboot should have been and what my reboot was are two entirely different things. My heart actually collapsed on my 36th birthday. Oh, like your heart heart? My my physical heart. Like I coded and I went code blue and I had to be resuscitated by a defibrillator in an ER facility and Anybody would have thought that that would have been rock bottom. Like that would have been the time that I would have faced. And even if I didn't have the language then, that would have been the time where I would have examined my relationships, my stress levels, what would have caused something like that to happen. I had just taken a spin class the day before. My heart was very, very healthy. And then it just decided to stop beating. And I was actually diagnosed with Taketsubo cardiomyopathy, and it's a Japanese word. It also means the broken heart syndrome. And so I went from being completely healthy one day to a literal broken heart the next day. Oh, my goodness. But I was so entrenched in the quicksand of denial, I didn't even know it. Well, just tell me, kind of walk me through that. What happened? Well, like I I said at the beginning, my husband and I have been married for almost 25 years. And we got married when I was 18 and he was 21. But we were married for 18 years before he surrendered his life to Christ. And just through a series of events, it became painfully obvious to me that if something happened to my husband, he was going to split hell wide open. Like he had no relationship with Jesus whatsoever. And in January of 2011, I did a 40-day fast and I fasted through breakfast and lunch every day. And then I would eat dinner every night. And I did that for 40 days. And I just prayed every day that the Lord would get Mitch's attention and it didn't matter what he had to do. I just didn't want to spend eternity without him. And so that was January into February. It's ironic when you do a 40-day fast, you end up breaking your fast right around Valentine's Day, which in, in that particular year, it just felt like the ultimate act of love to fast for my husband. And so a few things happened that year where I could tell that the Lord had heard me. And I tell people all the time, I don't fast 
to twist the Lord's arm. I fast because that's my way of like scooting my seat up to the front of God's classroom because I just want to hear from him. And there have been times in my life where I've been desperate to hear from him. And that was probably the height of my desperation. And so a few things happened that year and I just I just felt convinced that the Lord had had heard me and he was responding to that cry of my heart. And by the time September came around, I had kind of started to lose hope that anything was going to change. And my 36th birthday came around and Mitch was late for a meeting and we'd sent our kids off to school. Thankfully, it wasn't my day to carpool. And we were kind of sitting at the at the dining room table or kitchen table. And, and I said, walk the dogs with me before you leave. And he was like, Jill, I'm late. I'm going to be late for this meeting. And I'm like, it is my birthday. Surely you can just be 10 minutes late and walk the dogs with me. And that one decision is the reason why I'm here today. Because if he had have left and not stayed to walk the dogs with me, I would have died in my bathroom floor. And so... We were getting our shoes on to walk the dogs, and uh, I started having heart attack symptoms. Like I started having tingling in my arm, and I lost all the color in my face, and I just felt like there was an anvil just sitting on my chest. And my husband walked in the bathroom, and he was like, "What's the matter with you?" And, and I don't know, something's not right. And he he said, "Get in the car." And I said, "No, just I just need to lay down." And he said, "Jill." get in the car. He called 911 and they said, something's definitely happening. You can get her here before we can get to you. And he got me to an outpatient ER facility. And Tracy, I don't know if you know this or not, but only 5% of people survive if they code outside of a, a healthcare facility. Wow. And so he got me there and I coded and they resuscitated me, and I had to be put in an ambulance to be taken to the downtown hospital, you know, where I could be treated. And the doctor came outside where my husband was calling all of our friends and family to let them know that our lives had just kind of imploded. And the doctor said, we, we got her resuscitated but she will not calm down and we can't get her in an ambulance and you've got to go inside and you have to calm her down. And he said he walked into my room and I was flailing and I was very combative and I was yelling that everybody had been lying to me. And he said that he dropped to his knees and he uttered the very first heartfelt prayer he'd ever prayed in his life. Mm. And he said, God, if you're real, you have to do something. And he, and I don't remember any of this, Tracy, but he said, I took a deep breath and I just laid down. Mm. And then they whisked me off to the ER or, or to the downtown hospital. And, and I was in the hospital for a week. And the only thing the cardiologist said to me after that week, because they found absolutely nothing wrong with me, he said, you have to deal with stress in your life. Something is obviously very, very stressful. And I didn't know it then, but it was my codependency. Like I was crippled by my need to be needed. And it almost cost me my life. But I didn't know it, you know. So I have a pacemaker defibrillator. I'm actually going to go to the cardiologist next week. I see my cardiologist twice a year. And we have a great relationship. And I have never once had another episode since 2011. Six weeks after all of that happened, my husband surrendered his life to Christ. And he went from being the last person into the church and the first person out. And I guess it was a good sermon, but it really didn't apply to me. <laughs> to being that fully devoted follower of Christ. Wow. And now, you know, he's led mission trips and we started our own 501c3 and he's one of the lead volunteers at our church. I mean, it just, I, I went from praying for his salvation to praying 
oh, Lord, you have to slow him down because he's going to crash and burn. But there has been no stopping that man over the last seven years. Well, let's talk codependency. Oh, my gosh. So, so my reboot, my reboot, my reboot should have been when my heart stopped, but it wasn't until 2016. And in 2016, my oldest son was getting ready to leave for college and I was not handling it very well. And my CR identifier is I identify as an overeater, but I overeat because I have fear and insecurity. And so in 2016, I was secret eating like crazy and I would wait until people would go to bed and I would just eat everything in sight. And I think I realized that I was losing control. You know, pretty soon my son wasn't going to be in the house with us anymore. And I started panicking over it. And simultaneously, I was um, visiting the Celebrate Recovery website and I was contemplating working through the 12 steps by myself. How could I get a hold of these step study books? Because Celebrate Recovery was something I wanted no part of, but I knew that my life was becoming unmanageable because I I packed on about 30 pounds in four months. And it was all because I was losing this control that I thought I had over my son and control is such, it's such a farce anyway. And so it was the 4th of July of 2016 and I had made these plans with my family, but I hadn't communicated these plans to my family. And Hunter came out of his bedroom and he had his backpack on and he was getting ready to leave keys in hand. And I'm like, where are you going? Um, I'm, it's the 4th of July. I'm going to go hang out with my friends. I leave for college next month. And I went into this cussing and screaming tirade. I, I didn't even recognize myself. And I just remember he apologized to me, but I'm pretty sure he apologized because he knew I wasn't going to let him leave if he didn't. And that's, that was my rock bottom because I knew I couldn't control my tendency to do the wrong thing. And it seemed like everything I was doing was wrong. And that Friday night, I went to my first meeting. Wow. All right. I still want to back up. Okay. I want to back up to the, the, the broken heart and the codependency and how you have how you realized kind of that's what that was and how in that gap between the heart issue and this moment, you managed to say, stress, get the heck out of here. So like there's this stopgap measure somehow where you managed to cope and decrease your stress. Let's talk about that just for a little bit. You know, it's it's crazy because as everything was unfolding, with my heart episode, my husband and I just all by ourselves, we just decided we had to make some drastic changes. And when my heart collapsed, we lived in a very large house in a golf course community. And my husband was an executive for a healthcare company. And that came with enough stresses all by itself. And so we downsized, we sold our house, we moved into a 1,500 square foot condo, and we just intentionally started spending more time with each other and less time on some social relationships that we knew weren't doing us any good. Wow. There's also the point where you're not so stressed about your husband's salvation, right? Exactly. That was a huge stressor. So my heart collapsed in September. He surrendered his life to Christ the middle of October. We were baptized together the very next week. And then we put our house on the market in November. We're just like, we're done with keeping up with the Joneses. And it's not a benefit to us 
It's not enriching our lives. We're just seeing this as a big drain. And it was so cathartic because when you downsize to that level, you can't just get rid of a few things. You have to sell entire rooms of furniture to make something like that happen. Right. And it was the most fun I think I've ever had, you know, because, well, you know, I think so many people work toward the next house or the bigger house or the bigger this or the bigger that. And we, we were, we were like reverse commuting. (laughs) Wow. And it was wildly fun because we found this, we found this little 1500 square foot condo in the historic district. At that point, we lived in Louisville, Kentucky, and we moved into this. It it honestly was kind of like um, an assisted living facility where they didn't do med passes every day. You know, all of our neighbors were a lot older than we were. And we were just like, man, we've been such idiots up to this point because we were striving to climb the ladder. And then you get to the top of the ladder and you just, you just go down the slide, man. And it it was so fun. (laughs) That's awesome. So your kid, what were your kids thinking at this stage? Well, you you have to remember our kids have a big age gap. So our oldest son was 15. Our daughter was 12 and our youngest was he was five. So he really didn't even know the score. And they were so thrilled. Uh, We lovingly call my husband, daddy 1.0 and daddy 2.0 and daddy (laughs) 1.0 is before Christ and daddy 2.0. And so they were so thrilled with daddy 2.0, who was actually engaged in conversations. And he was, he was so intentional with them and he would come home on his lunch break and we would take him to the park, you know, like that's all they could see. And we went from this gaudy monstrosity of a house that I now lovingly refer to as the big house because it was my own personal prison. Mm. You know, it would, five bedrooms and it had a movie theater and just all of this opulence. And we moved into a 1500 square foot, three bedroom, two bath that had a galley kitchen. (laughs) And people probably thought that we were smoking something, but we were just (laughs) loving life. We were loving everything about the second chance that we felt like God had given us with my heart episode And then with Mitch 2.0, what could we have possibly been upset about? But to the world, to the world, it looked like we were at the bottom of the Grand Canyon cut and bleeding. (laughs) Well, and and then I want to respect your time. I know that. um, Oh, let's just keep going. If if somebody calls, then I'll I'll deal with them. (laughs) Well, I I do kind of want to step back forward because you're talking about Daddy 1.0 and Daddy 2.0. And you're having a blast downsizing, but then there was the actual lowest point where yes. you blew up at your son. And and Jill, I just think this is there's so much beauty actually in your confession that God answered your prayer for your husband and your lives kind of take another turn because you've got your life back. You've got so much to be grateful for. Mm-hmm. And yet I can't be grateful. And then there's this whole blow up and you confess that you cussed at your son. Yeah. And it's okay for those of us who follow Jesus to struggle. Yes. Yes. And that that was huge because I think once I realized, and in that very first CR meeting that I went to that Friday after the 4th of July in 2016, And I verbally vomited all over that group of women. (laughs) Me too. Yes. It was such a healing thing to walk in with so much shame over what I had subjected my children to. Because that wasn't a one-time event. You know, the, the secret eating and everything that I was using to cope, I guess you could say that I had taken for granted all of the things that the Lord had done for me in those five years between 2011 and 2016. 
But there's another part of me that just thinks, no, I mean, we're all going to take things for granted from time to time. Yes. But we're broken people. We're, we're broken people. And we're always one step away from stupid all the time. <laughs> That's funny. It's true. <laughs> it's, it's so true. And so when I went to that very first Celebrate Recovery meeting, that's when I started to step out of the shadows. And I'm still stepping out. I'm dragging stuff into the light every day of my life right now. And that's where I've got to live. Yeah. And, you know, I think the other thing that's fascinating is I identify and celebrate recovery as someone who celebrates recovery over unresolved grief. My struggle is perfectionism. But see, there's this whole other host of things that I struggle with, including anger and anxiety and mm-hmm. codependency. Mm-hmm. And just so far in your story, you're you're talking about codependency, overeating, mm-hmm. and anger. Mm-hmm. And I get the privilege of leading a one-on-one so that newcomers can kind of understand what just happened in their very first meeting and how to get ready for next week's meeting. Right. And I get so many questions about, well, how do I know which open share group to go to? Because there are so many of them, love and relationship, chemical dependency, and and all this stuff. And I don't know about you, but for me, the answer is find a place where you feel safe with the people in that group. Does that resonate with you, maybe? 100%. I actually switched chapters because I needed a food issues group because that was my number one issue that it affects my daily life. And the, the chapter that I was attending, they didn't have a food issues group. And so I, I ended up rearranging my work schedule so that I could get to the one that does have a food issues group. But unequivocally, if I would have started attending that food issues group and I didn't feel safe, uh-uh, I wouldn't have stayed. Right. Because that's the number one. And I think that's why I love so much that there's no crosstalk. Mm-hmm. I can share whatever has happened that week and nobody is allowed to fix me that because as soon as as soon as you give me a verse as soon as you give me a book recommendation as soon well have you thought about doing this you're going to shut me down and then you no longer are dealing with your stuff you're dealing with mine <laughs> that's true i have people all the time trying to fix my asthma and you think i haven't thought about this in 25 years exactly and and at the end of the day The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit all by himself. Preach. All right. I want to ask you a question about your meeting. You walked into CR after your blow up with your son. At what point did you go, hey, codependency has been one of my stressors all along? Was that like one of the first things you kind of figured out as you started going to CR and attending meetings? No, not initially. I started attending beginning of July. And then I jumped right into a step study middle of August. And it wasn't too much longer after you're in that step study environment and you're working your way through the 12 steps. And John Baker is a Holy Spirit inspired genius because in step study, you get asked a lot of the same questions just in different ways. It's like a Jedi mind trick. It's so annoying. (laughs) Yes. But, but you have to dig a little bit deeper to be able to continue to answer these rephrased questions. It's annoying the first time I go through it and whenever I have to answer the questions, but it's genius when I see other people benefiting from it, right? Yes, yes. And and that's absolutely true because I found myself getting frustrated. But the fact that I had all of these relational issues, sibling relational issues, friend relational issues, family, you know, with my husband and with my kids, and 
I was codependent. I needed to be needed. And I would manipulate anybody and everybody to get what I wanted. And I hated having to admit that, but it was through step study. So our step study took about nine months. We were in there from August until about the next May. And I would say it was probably November, December, January. You know, you're in the thick of your inventory and things like that, where, where I'm starting to kind of see the Holy Spirit just highlight this relationship and this relationship and this relationship. And then you're like, I'm not just an overeater who's got, you know, because I just wanted to think I had 30 years of bad habits that I needed to break. Wow. But this overeating thing, this is a flawed coping skill because I'm screwing up all of these relationships. And when I was able to tie those two pieces together, and don't get me wrong, there was a lot of confession that was happening in there as well. And the other thing that I used overeating for was there was this one traumatic event in my past that happened probably when I was between the ages of six and eight years old. And I think intrinsically, I just kept stuffing food down to keep that thing buried. And once you're able to connect some of these dots and you've confessed everything that's so hidden in the deep, dark recesses of your heart to a safe place, you know, in a safe place, Mm. I, I slowly started to realize that I didn't need to bury anything else with food. Wow. It's been really miraculous. Which piece did you pull on first because they're both intertwined, the overeating and the codependency. Do you work on both at once or do you say, I'm going to work on this to influence the other? How does that work? I I think as best I could, working on the overeating, it was easier to mark clean time that way. Yeah, that's a good point. But working on the codependency was something that I've told people several different times in my life. I'm not at a place in my Christian walk where I'm like, do I read my Bible or do I cook meth? That's not where I'm at. My sin nature is a lot more sneaky than that. Mm. And the codependency, that's where my sin nature can really take over. And it it can disguise itself as a caring heart or just being concerned. Only I really know when I'm being manipulative. Wow. And and so the overeating and the codependency go hand in hand because when I feel out of control with my relationships, it manifests itself in my overeating. Mm. But I had to work on them in tandem. I just marked my clean time with the overeating. So what is that clean time? I honestly, I had a relapse, uh, probably had a relapse about six months into my recovery because, and I don't want to trigger anybody, but popcorn is my Achilles heel. And and we're not talking skinny pop. We're I talking know. like movie theater, buttered popcorn. Yeah. And I'll want to jump in a giant tub and eat my way out. And, and that's what I did. Uh, probably about six months into my recovery, I buried myself in a tub of popcorn. And prior to that, I just thought it was a bad habit. But like that, that day when I like kind of woke up and I'd already eaten most of the popcorn, I just thought, what am I doing? You know, so uh, I would say I have about 18 months of clean time where I have not acted out with food. I'm still going to take one or two bites too much. But Beth Moore talks about proactive sin and reactive sin. And proactive sin is more of that premeditated, I'm doing this. And reactive sin is more of a like a, oh, wow, I did not mean to do that. And so the giant tub of popcorn six months into my recovery was definitely a proactive, I'm out of here. Jill, what do you what do you do when you crave popcorn or you want to sneak into the kitchen in the middle of the night and grab something to eat? What do you uh, do? 
Because I struggle with the, oh man, I need something to eat and it's 11 o'clock at night. Yes. So here's the deal. I don't eat popcorn. And, and, and I, I don't know, I don't know if I'll ever have a normal relationship with popcorn ever again. But I just, for this season of my life, it's completely off limits. And that, that also has translated into, I don't go to the movie theater because for right now, the two just go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And then as, as far as nighttime eating is concerned, Tracy, it's a lot of, it's exhausting focus a lot of times, but right now I'm, I'm working my way through a book called Full by Asherita Choo Choo. Have you ever heard of it? No. Okay. In chapter three of that book, she talks about 10 lies that we believe about food. And she talks about how you, you've got to identify the lie and you've got to dig it up and you've got to replace it with the truth. And so I have affirmations around my computer monitor because overeating will never help. I only compound my misery when I take my brokenness to the fridge. And wow. so that affirmation, and, and I want to say the scripture, I'm, I'm not sitting at my computer right now, but I want to say the scripture that goes along with it is Isaiah 54, 11, And I could be wrong about that. But the affirmation piece of it, that's locked and loaded at all times. I only compound my misery when I take my brokenness to the fridge. I compound my misery when I take my brokenness to the fridge. I compound, you know, and, and then the other piece of it is I have a Marco Polo video chat with four other women who all of us identify as overeaters. And we have to check in every day. We wow. post pictures of our meals, before and after pictures of our meals. We always try to leave offering bites because a tithe is a tithe is a tithe is a tithe. Okay, so what's an offering bite? Well, an, an offering bite is just basically, it just reminds me and it reminds my flesh that God is in charge of me and I am in charge of my food. Food is okay. not in charge of me. So what, what I mean, what, what is that? What? Uh, okay, so without being too graphic, this morning when I ate my breakfast, I just pinched off a bite and that bite got left on my plate. Okay. And it does not get eaten. That's my offering bite. And and it doesn't matter if the bite gets given to another family member or if it gets thrown in the garbage. Right. God is in charge of me and I am in charge of wow. my food. That's awesome, Jill. Well, I was raised, I'm the youngest of 10. I was raised in the late 70s, early 80s, and I was in the Clean Your Plate Club. And it didn't really matter what you were doing when the food was hot and dinner was ready. I was silently sent a message that food is more important than anything you're doing. Hmm. And that's not true. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So my, my friends and I video chat, we snap pictures of our food. We say when we've left an offering bite. And we confess. We radically confess like crazy. Confessions aren't always fun. But yesterday, I just encouraged the group. And I was like, guys, I don't know if you realize it or not, but we are at the beginning of the 2018 holiday season. Yep. And I can't speak for you, but every other year prior to this year, it's just kind of been an unwritten, unsaid affirmation. I will focus on food and eating again in January. Hmm. From November, October 31st to December 31st, I'm going to party and I'm going to enjoy these family functions and I'm going to eat. And so is that is that your 2018 into 19 kind of focus or are, are you going to ratchet down this time? No, I'm, I, and that's how I encouraged the group yesterday. I was like, every other year before this year, you just, no, I'll, I'll worry about it again in January. I'll join the gym again in January. But I'm like, there's something different about this year because I'm radically confessing. You know, Ecclesiastes tells us about the cord of three strands. It isn't easily broken. And I've intertwined myself with these four other women and the Holy Spirit. And we're, we're on the same page where eating and surrender are concerned 
And I'm encouraged about this holiday season. And if I go to Thanksgiving and I really think that somebody's recipe is amazing, that's not a reason to go back for seconds or thirds. You go to that person and you ask them for the recipe and then you make it yourself. There's no reason to be disobedient where food idolatry is concerned. I want food freedom. Jill, we, you know, we... We get this notion that, oh, well, I don't have a chemical addiction, so I'm better than that person. And yet, Scripture is very clear about things like gluttony Mm -hmm. and pride and all of these things. And you're right. I think the difference is clean time. And also, we think that, that gluttony is a sin that hurts no one but us. And what we've just spent you know, the last several minutes talking about is that one is intertwined with the other and that other people are impacted and the kingdom is impacted when we do things that scripture tells us not to do for our own goods. Yes. And I also want to just challenge the the whole gluttony piece of it. Gluttony could very well be eating an entire pizza. But gluttony could also be having an extra slice. Mm. Only me and the Holy Spirit know. But, But am I willing to surrender to that level? This is radical honesty and radical obedience. And it is the abundant life that Jesus paid for. I truly believe being fat will never keep me out of heaven. This is not a salvation issue. Being steeped in addiction will never keep someone out of heaven, but it will keep you from living the abundant life that Jesus paid for. And I'm just stubborn enough. I want the abundant life that he paid for. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. As we wrap up our conversation, I I just want to see what encouragement you have for someone who's listening to this and they're really struggling with how they treat other people and their relationships and codependency. How, how does someone know if the relationship that they're struggling with isn't necessarily 100% somebody else's fault, but their approach to the relationship? How does somebody know that? Mm, I can't answer for anybody else. I can just say how... I knew perfect that, that things were not going well in my relationships. Perfect. And it was it was a brick wall that I kept hitting with with the tip of my nose all the way to my forehead and my chin Be, because the relationships that I was in the majority of them Tracy they were toxic. And I I found myself compromising in ways that just didn't, I knew very, very quickly after I started in recovery, hindsight's always going to be 2020. And so ideally, you would like to look at your relationships right now and be able to identify where there is toxicity and where there is codependency. But unfortunately for me, I had to look at the relationships that were estranged or relationships that didn't have good closure or relationships that they were toxic, but I didn't really know how they had gotten toxic. And and then I had to take an honest look at where my part of that was. Like, where, where did I just let things fizzle where I didn't have good closure? Where did I compromise and... I was no longer led by what I felt like God wanted me to do, but I was more led by what I felt like this person wanted me to do. And at the root of codependency, it's all idolatry. (laughs) Mm -hmm. If, If I can trust God with my relationships with the people that I love the most, with my relationships with my kids and with my relationships with my friends, then If I can trust God with this relationship, even though this relationship might be important to me, but if I can fully trust God with it, then I'm going to trust him enough to have a hard conversation. 
Wow. Yeah. And so are you saying then that this examination of broken relationships in your past then and now heavily influences how you treat the people most important to you today? 100%. Because when those past relationships started getting toxic, it's unequivocally when I cared more what they thought about me than I was obedient to the Lord. Mm. Because there, you always come to a crossroads where the Lord is like, this isn't okay. And this needs to be addressed. And you silence that voice of the Holy Spirit because you want to keep that person happy. Mm. Well, as I have gotten emotionally healthy, I want to keep my Savior happy. And if that means calling you on the telephone and saying, can we meet for coffee? I really need to talk to you about something. Then that's going to keep any and every relationship from going sideways. But I'm only going to recognize it if I'm in a good place with Jesus. Mm. That's awesome, Jill. All right, next question, advice and encouragement. This is the last one that I I just kind of want to speak directly to our listeners. We're recording this at the beginning of the 2018 holiday season, and this will come out sometime early 2019. And so our listeners have done what they're going to do as far as eating goes. Mm -hmm. What advice or encouragement do you have for someone who is listening to this and saying, you know what, I want to get my eating under control. What's the first thing that they should do? It's kind of interesting that we're having this conversation right now because we're at the beginning. Like, let's get it under the blood of Jesus now. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if this will release in January after the new year, but like, there's no time like today. I I think the number one thing I would say is just don't put it off. We've deferred, we've deferred, we've deferred, we've deferred. And there is no time like right now to start addressing, how does God want me to eat? You know, with my accountability group, we had some issues initially because of conventional wisdom. And one of our participants was eating about six meals a day, and they weren't six small meals a day. They were, they were pretty sizable meals because that's what she felt like her doctor instructed her to do. And so we were just, we're not fixing anybody. We're just doing life together. And she's watching all the rest of us. And then at one point, someone kind of, not in a fixing way, but just like, so why do you do that? And she's like, well, but my doctor tells me that this is, this is how best my body is going to respond if I can keep my metabolism up. And, and I'm like, ah, do you sit on the toilet six times a day? <laughs> or do you wait until your body tells you that you need to use the ladies' room? And it was an aha moment for her because we have listened so much to human wisdom that we've neglected the great physician and his wisdom. And I think if I were to talk to anybody about food and and eating and food freedom versus food idolatry and just getting to the place where you eat enough to live and you're no longer living to eat, It's like, how much of what you're doing are you doing just because you feel like it's a good idea? And how much of what you're doing are you doing because you feel like this is what God has called you to? Yeah, and you're right. There's such a fine line there between letting a physician be a physician and making absolutely sure that we don't give advice counter to what a physician is definitely doing. But at the same time, you know, there are physicians who will, you know, we can shop around and find a physician who will kind of tickle your ears and tell you whatever you want. 
And so there's a balance there. And so I get the, the need to kind of be careful with that. That's fascinating. And then I, I, I think the other thing that I would just encourage somebody to do is leave something on your plate. Just start right there because it's just like if you embrace the principle of the tithe, if you give God 10% of your income as soon as you get paid and, and you give it first, your heart feels very generous. But if you try to pay your bills and give that 10% at the end, you're almost never going to do it because as you watch your checking account dwindle, you just start to feel less and less generous and more greedy. Mm -hmm. And I always try to give my offering bite first because when I'm looking at the whole plate, I can just scoot a little bit off to the side or I can scoot some off onto a napkin because God's in charge of me and I'm in charge of food. Mm. And that just tells my flesh that food is not the boss of me. And then I can enjoy the rest of the meal. But if I wait until the end, I'm almost always going to be greedy with that last bite. Yeah. Last question, Miss Jill. What good in your life exists today that would not have existed but for the darkness in your life? <sighs> Emotionally healthy relationships. I know, unfortunately, far too many family members who are much, much older than I am and they're emotional health where their relationships are concerned is terrible. <laughs> and so the, the darkness that I've been through, I wouldn't necessarily jump to the front of the line to go through it again, <laughs> but I would. Because now I have two kids in college and my oldest son is married and I get to talk to him in a non-codependent way. And on the 4th of July, I always get a text from him thanking me for getting myself into recovery because he has a mommy 2.0 because of what went down on that 4th of July in 2016. Wow. And it's, it's worth it, you know, for, for him to say happy anniversary, mommy. Thanks for investing in yourself. And getting text messages from my daughter, who's a freshman in college, not because she feels manipulated into our relationship, but because she genuinely misses the investment and the contribution that I can make to her. Well, I'm not that smart, <laughs> you know, but I, I've invested enough in my recovery and the Lord has given me the courage to do an introspective journey like a step study. And I've benefited from it. And it's something I want for everybody. And, and so for Celebrate Recovery, what do you have to lose? What are you afraid of? Because as scary as it might sound, the benefits, they won't even sit on the scale together. Mm. Yeah. That's good stuff, Miss Jill. Thank you so much for your time. Tracy, <laughs> this has been my honor, my absolute honor. For more about Jill, her journey, and her podcast, Jesus and Jill Just for Today, check out her website, jesusandjill.com. There's going to be a link in the show notes at rebootspodcast.com forward slash episode four one. Hey, and if you want to do us a solid or really any of your favorite podcasts for that matter, head on over to iTunes and post an honest review. We really appreciate the feedback. It helps us make decisions about the kinds of topics and stories that you're interested in hearing more about. And it helps others find us easier in the iTunes store. I made it really easy, for that matter, for you to access Reboots in the iTunes store. 
It's rebootspodcast.com forward slash iTunes. And then while you're over there, go ahead and leave a review for Jill at Jesus and Jill just for today and her podcast too. Hey, I'm Tracy Winchell. We'll see you next time. Deo Valente. We hope this episode has helped you in some way. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Maybe someone you care about might benefit from the Reboots Podcast. It's easy to share from our website, rebootspodcast.com. The Reboots Podcast is a production of Winchell Storyworks Incorporated, a company dedicated to helping businesses and individuals know, share, and live their stories in order to impact the world around us in a positive way and to achieve financial freedom.